If America is going to become a place where the virtues of a biblical worldview are ever going to be respected again, Christian parents are going to have to wake up, speak up, rise up, and dare we say push back against the hollow philosophies brewing in our culture. I mean, long gone are the days of raising kids to assimilate into a reasonably healthy American culture. So it would seem that pushing forward by committing to and following God and His Word is actually the best way for Christian parents to push back. Now make no mistake though, the world is looking for the security of something that is transcendently true, good, and right just as much as our kids are. But without turning back to God, life in America, much like life in uh, the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, is only going to get worse. Even worse than that, since logic, facts, science, and God are no longer the final arbiters of truth, we're left with a society that can't count on anything. So is it any wonder that we're seeing such a rise in mental illness? Well, what do we do about it? We're going to take a look today on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Rich Rosal, and if this is the first time you've stumbled upon us, we are so glad you did. This is a parenting program, and we take that subject very seriously. Our host is Trace Embry, and he spends most of his day, day in and day out, at a ministry that he founded more than 20 years ago, Shepherd's Hill Academy. It's a year-long, therapeutic, Christ-centered, wilderness-based residential program for teens in crisis. And we try to take what's learned here at Shepherd's Hill and pass that on to you to help you be more intentional in your parenting. Trace, uh, we talk about this a lot, and if folks have listened to this broadcast for any length of time at all, I think we've already made them keenly aware of the fact that today's American culture in and of itself is not just a, a toxic environment for raising kids, but it might be the very root of so many of the attitudinal, behavioral, mental issues that we're seeing in our mm. kids today. Expound on that for us. Yeah, I think just the number of kids uh, being prescribed mood-altering drugs in America alone is indicative of a problem that's now systemic to our culture. But, you know, let me remind our listeners how one secular mental health association has defined the term culture. Well, it's the ideas, institutions, and interactions that tell a people group how to think, feel, and act. So our culture itself is now hazardous to our health, a systemic breeding ground for mental illness. Uh, one prominent spiritual leader, though not a Christian, even said, it's not a sign of good health when we become well-adjusted to a sick society. Mm. So, Rich, I happen to believe that more than having a youth crisis, we're actually seeing our kids reacting normally to a society in crisis. Yeah, a friend of mine used to say we're rapidly progressing backwards. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're destroying the very foundation upon which America was built and, and then thrived. Virtually everything necessary for sustaining a civil society. The Bible says that when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Because when one nut job can summon, you know, let's say 7,000 other nut jobs from all around the world to sympathize and agree with whatever perversion they're all in league with at the time— then it's easy for the lemming-like masses to think that surely 7,000 people can't be wrong by virtue of the numbers. But nobody stops to think that even 7,000 people against 7 billion other semi-normal people on the planet is still a ratio of a million to one, right? So the lemming-like masses actually start giving a voice and a platform for the legitimacy of that one in a million. And if you beg to differ... You know, you're a bigoted antichrist for bringing objective reality, science, and what used to be called common sense into the equation. Now, what's sad is that too many kids are being duped by similar nonsense via these addictive adult toys we call smartphones. Uh, the ones that we've given our kids 
uh, and giving them unencumbered access to 24-7, 365, no less. So it's any wonder that we've gone a little nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And then add to that the multitude of other predilections, proclivities, and perversions afforded to heaven knows who on all the different internet platforms we have today. And we've got we've got a real circus on our hands, have yeah. we not? Yeah, uh, when a kid or, or adult is overstimulated 24-7, 365 with these kinds of self-deluded, self-gratifying, and self-affirmations of postmodern thought and moral relativism, uh, with no regard for transcendent moral truth, then things are going to manifest in chaos, distorted and illogical thought and behaviors, unrelenting grievance, entitlement, ingratitude, narcissism, hypocrisy, divisiveness, disrespect, uncivil disobedience, and even violence. And all that is just going to fuel and perpetuate political correctness through the redefinition of common terms, even godly terms, but again, defined by the devil's dictionary. So you end up with a multitude of unchallenged false premises and other lies and biased uh, insights, uh, including revisionist history and and all that goes along with that. And, And all this helps to create a deluded and fragile society of snowflakes who think that microaggressions, trigger words, and safe spaces should actually be a thing. And that's how a lot of these kids, uh, you know, when they accidentally end up on third base, live under the delusion they just hit a triple. Uh, they're, they're, they're living in a matrix that, that isn't conducive for mental health. And this garbage isn't just being fueled by their 300 social media friends either. It's, uh, it's coming from the very people who traditionally, uh, they've always been groomed to emulate. And I'm talking about teachers and professors and businessmen and judges and doctors and lawyers and politicians, therapists, media personalities, uh, scientists, and even clergy. The bottom line, America has become a citizenry that is nuttier than squirrel dung. And our kids get little to no refuge from it at all because, again, it's around the clock. Yeah. But at Shepherd's Hill, our troubled teenagers are getting, as uh, Paul Harvey used to say, and as we often say here, the rest of the story. And it's inspiring them to go out and not just survive our culture, but transform it. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is equipping these kids to, to do just that uh, because we're restoring their sanity first which is why 70% of Shepherd's Hill kids, uh, when they graduate, have no need for the medications they came here with. And we're pretty proud of that, and we're really proud of them. Indeed we are. Well, Trace, we want to bring in an outside set of eyes and ears to join our conversation today. Andrew Claven is the author of such internationally best-selling crime novels as True Crime, which was filmed by Clint Eastwood, Don't Say a Word, filmed and starring Michael Douglas, and Empire of Lies. In fact, Stephen King called him the most original novelist of crime and suspense since Cornell Woolrich. He's been nominated for the Mystery Writers of America's Edgar Award five times. He's won it twice. He's also won numerous other awards, and his books have been translated all around the world. His most recent work, by the way, his most recent work of fiction, is the serial fantasy thriller podcast Another Kingdom, which was on iTunes' list of the top 100 podcasts and was published as a novel trilogy in 2019. He's also written thrillers for young adults, including the best-selling Homelander series and some nonfiction work, including a memoir of his religious journey called The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. Now, why, you may be asking, Mr. Embry, have we uh, invited a well-known crime writer onto the program? Is he going to do the big reveal at the end and tell us who done it? Actually, we hope he will. <laughs> Andrew Claven, though, is also well-known and well-respected as a cultural commentator, and um, he's got a podcast, The Andrew Claven Show, and we would love to hear his take not only on who done it, but more importantly, how he thinks we can and perhaps should turn things around. Well, Andrew, welcome to the License of Parent Broadcast. 
Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Listen, I'm sorry for that long rant, but uh, you know, being a cultural commentator yourself, t- tell me where I'm going wrong with the influence of our culture alone, just the culture on our kids. That I mean, you may have a totally different take. No, I think you're you're actually quite right. One of the things that has been very frustrating for me is that the people who uh, understand the problem don't really indulge in the culture. They're so disgusted by the culture. Mm-hmm. They're so put off by Hollywood. Uh, they're so put off by uh, video games and all these things that they don't want to contribute. They just basically right. turn away. And when you turn away, you see the field. You know, you not only you not only see the field, but you make it impossible uh, for people with the values that you want to support. You make it impossible for them to thrive as artists. Yeah. I really feel that a, a, a lot of voices are being silenced simply because the door is shut. And when the door is shut, people tend to turn away and go someplace where the door is open. And as a, as a result of this, you have a culture that is clearly dominated by one side. And for the purposes of this conversation, I mean, I frequently am very frustrated by their politics, but beyond their politics, what I'm most frustrated with uh, is an underlying sense of materialism, meaning that all things are material, and moral relativism, the idea, the completely false idea that morality is relative and, and some people do things some way, and some people do things an entirely different way. That's an actual untruth. I mean, morality around the world uh, is pretty much the same at its basic level, at its most basic level. People have different beliefs about reality, but morality is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that I complain about a lot is that the the anti-Christian forces in the media, and they are everywhere, Mm -hmm. they are really talented at putting everything we say in a negative light. So they will bring a Christian uh, person on and they will immediately ask him about some flashpoint in which he is going to condemn somebody. He's going to condemn some form of sexuality, some form of drugs. He's going to condemn this or that. And so whenever you see Christians in the mainstream media, they're always saying no. They're always wagging their finger at you. And and they maneuver them into that position. But of course, I I think, I mean, listen, I, I... made a long mental and time journey to Christ. And the, the big thing about it is three weeks after I was baptized, my wife turned to me and she said, you're a new person. You're like so happy and serene. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, it's cool. Right. right. So, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I made a speech at a college, uh, a girl got up to me and said, and I said, you know, you're going to find all your, your joy in love and virtue. That's what I said. You're going to find a hundred percent of your joy in love and virtue. And if you love things that, are that are not worthy of your love, like drugs and, and porn, you're going to be unhappy. And this girl got up and she said, how dare you basically tell me that I can't be happy taking drugs? And I, I said to her, you know, I'm just telling you what I've observed yeah. over a long life. Do it, you know, I can't stop you. I can't stop you well, from taking I, drugs. You know? Right, I tell the kids at Shepherd's, look, you can leave here and choose to do anything you want to do. You can, you can exactly. choose to do anything you want to do. What you can't choose are the consequences of doing everything you want to. And when you That's talk it. about words like love and virtue, unfortunately, because of our postmodern relativistic world, we now have to define the terms, make sure that we're talking about the same definitions. Because we use godly terms all the time, and the world defines them with the devil's dictionary. So that's one way that the enemy has used to really drive that wedge between the the sacred and the secular. And, you know, my philosophy, and I know what you think about this, is I I think we need to go out and find the sacred in the secular because I think it's there if we'll we'll look for it. But uh, too many uh, Christians want to, you know, suck their thumb and get in the fetal position in a corner somewhere and just stay out of the fray. And I don't think we can do that. So my next question is, 
you know, knowing just from dealing with the kids that I deal with here every day, that uh, a foundation, a biblical worldview, understanding, what, 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 what do you think parents could do to, to better validate a biblical worldview to their kids and to their spheres well, of influence in the culture? First, I think they have to live it, and they have to live it in joy. That's it. You have to, you know, and when I say joy, I don't mean happiness. We're happy when right. happy things happen, and we're sad when sad things happen. But joy is, is life in abundance. It's that, that vitality that you feel when you're fully involved mm-hmm. in life every minute, even in tragedy, even in uh, sorrow. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes tell people, I've, I've been blessed with a, an extraordinarily happy marriage. And when I sometimes tell young people, you know, when I was young, I was, I was faithful to my wife because I was afraid I'd get caught <laughs> if I cheated on her. But over time, I began to realize that I loved being a man of fidelity. I loved that my children could look at me and know that I was someone they could trust. I loved that they know, knew when my mouth opened, the words that came out were, the, were coming from my heart. I, knew that I loved that my wife could look at me and think, like, this guy is really in. You know, he's really in there. And once I became joyful in my fidelity, it wasn't a struggle at all anymore. It was just happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, this is, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I... And, and I think if you can live that life, and I remember talking to my wife about this when my kids were little. I remember saying, you know, it's not enough that we do right. We have to do it happily. We have to do it, you know, love doing right. Yeah. And, and that is something I think you can actually cultivate when you t- just turn your mind toward the positive part of doing right. Because there is a negative part of doing right, which is don't do wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, but. But if you're always focused on that, you're actually just restraining yourself and you're wound up tight, and that's what you're going to communicate to your kids. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the other thing is, and, and this is, I, I mean, to me, this is the obsession of my life, you know. I think you have to be who you seem to be, you know. Yeah. You actually cannot pull anything over on your Keep kids, it real. You know? I mean, that's, what the, that's the big yeah. word on the street. Keep, that's what these kids, are, they value reality. They can even deal with the ugliness and the pain of it. They just want to know what's real and they're bombarded with so many different uh, uh, things today in so many different directions. They don't know what's real, but you know, uh, that joy you're talking about, which is the Bible calls it the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. A lot of that uh, woven throughout scripture comes from an attitude of gratitude. And uh, science, we know from science that when a kid's genuinely grateful for something, that he's shooting enough serotonin, or an adult for that matter, shooting enough serotonin in their brain to actually uh, be equivalent to taking a Wellbutrin or or a Prozac. So we can regulate our own joy, our own mental well-being, simply by being grateful. When we come back from the break, I want to ask you if we think that there's anything to the fact that our kids are so overstimulated today with choices where they really, uh, they can't hardly be grateful anymore. So we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Andrew Claven. He's a crime novelist, a screenwriter, and a cultural commentator. His latest book that he mentioned a moment ago is the serial fantasy thriller Another Kingdom. And you can find that as well as his podcast, The Andrew Claven Show, online. In fact, the podcast is on SoundCloud. We'll be back with more conversation with Andrew Claven on Licensed to Parent right after this. In the training of our children, what role should public school play? Documentarian Colin Gunn takes a panoramic exploration of this issue by hopping in a school bus for a field trip all over America in the DVD Indoctrination. Colin conducts a series of candid interviews and discovers how God's recipe for training the next generation is being replaced with a humanistic, man-centered program that fragments the family and undermines the influence of the church and the Great Commission. 
Christian teachers and principals share how they're attempting to walk the tightrope between teaching what they do not believe and being restricted from their God-given call to be salt and light. Indoctrination, public schools, and the decline of Christianity in America. Available in the Licensed to Parent store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and Licensed to Parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And while there, be sure to check out some of our past programs, conversations with other great guests on a variety of parenting topics. But today's guest is Andrew Claven. Uh, not only is he a great crime novelist, but he's also a great cultural commentator. You can find his podcast, The Andrew Claven Show, on SoundCloud. And Andrew, right at the top of our, our chat today, you were talking about how there are a lot of people who... Uh, you know, may decry this problem or that problem in society, but rather than fixing it, they're sort of becoming disengaged and they're not jumping in where where kids are, where adults are, where society is. I'm wondering why that is. I mean, nowadays, anybody who wants a platform can go to YouTube and can say whatever he or she wants to. And if you're a, a recording artist, for example, you, you've got GarageBand or some other program and you can you could put together a hit album, um, you know, in your home and uh, and get the music out there. Why do you think people, even with the tools available so inexpensively now, why are people sticking their heads in the sand and not engaging? Well, for, first, let me tell you that I think this is an enormous deal. I think you're bringing up an incredibly important subject. I compare it to the American Revolution when you had this empire uh, marching in great big straight rose and the rebels were popping up from behind rocks and, and popping them as they went yeah, fast. Exactly. And I think that that's the situation we're in now. We've got an empire of lies uh, basically pouring out movie after movie after television show after song, uh, telling kids that, um, what is not true about life. Uh, and we have now got the tools to fight a guerrilla war uh, coming back. And why people don't do this, I think there are just too many, there's a, there's a mindset uh, among traditionalists is a mindset that things are always about to com completely collapse and they have to run and stick their finger in the dam. They have to uh, solve, you know, make sure that we win the next election. They have to do some, uh, solve some c tremendous crisis. And culture is slow. 
You know, life is life is uh, short, but art is long. Culture takes a long time mm-hmm. to change, That's and true. sometimes it looks like you're losing, but you're winning. I think we're winning now, but we're doing it in this very slow, step by step way. And so, people don't understand the urgency of art. Uh, art has this tremendous urgency, but it's slow-motion urgency. And I don't think that, that that's the first thing that people think about. Uh, they think about something else. You know, how are we going to solve this problem? How are we going to solve this crisis? How are we going to uh, win this election? And they don't think about how am I going to make it so that 20 years from now, mm-hmm. the things, the, the default setting is no longer materialism. The default setting is faith. Yeah, we seem to continually be five squares behind the, the real issue. And and to That's what right. Andrew just said, back in the 1970s, Francis Schaeffer wrote the book, How Then Shall We Live? Mm-hmm. And a point that he made time and time again was that as worldview changes and philosophy changes, that influences art first. Yeah. And after art may come the literature, and after the literature may come this or that or the other. It's sort of a trickle-down effect. But you're, you're right, if that art, if, if the artists in our culture will engage in promoting the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. that's going to have a trickle-down effect on everybody else. Am I right or wrong in saying the culture used to influence art, whereas today art influences culture? I, I think it goes both ways. I think that art, you know, you can't, one of the things about art is that it has to exist in the culture that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't uh, write a, a society that, that doesn't exist. So even when things happen that I don't like uh, and people behave in ways that I don't like, I have to include them in the stories I tell or I can't tell stories about the real world. And that's a very difficult thing. But art also affects the world as it is. And, you know, and, and sometimes the effect is over time. You know, the great uh, Russian novelist uh, Dostoevsky saw a lot of the things that were coming down the pike. He saw them in advance. He was virtually a, a seer. Yeah. And, um, and he wrote this wonderful novel, uh, Crime and Punishment, to, to basically answer Nietzsche to say that there is a moral world and you, it, it does exist. This was before Nietzsche ever wrote a word. He saw it coming before it got there. Yeah. I read Crime and Punishment uh, when I was 19, and it basically put me on the path to God. It took 30 years from the time I read it to the time I, I was baptized. But that book was the thing that turned the ship around in a new direction. So, you know, art has tremendous power, uh, and it has tremendous power over the centuries. Yeah. But you have, you have to commit to that long-term effect. Yeah, I just see it here so often. Uh, you know, Snoop Dogg shows up at an award show or whatever it was with his pants sagging. The next day, every kid in the country has got their That's pants right. sagging. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every kid here is suburban kids. They want to be gangsters. And it's like, come on, seriously? But uh, before the break, we were talking about the importance of gratitude. And uh, we live in a culture today where, you know, kids just have unlimited choices and they're indulged and pleasured into imbecility, which breeds entitlement, which is the basic polar opposite of gratitude. What counsel do you have for parents as to kind of rein some of this stuff in in a practical way? Well, you know, the, the very, very first thing is the way you treat your spouse. And, you know, mm-hmm. because, because I have this long-term marriage, which has been really a, a blessing, people ask me, like, what is, what is the secret of a happy marriage? And I used to say, be polite, you know, be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was what I used to say. But then I suddenly realized, it took me a long time to realize what I was really saying was be grateful. Because what I meant by uh, be polite is say thank you when somebody does sure. something for you. And the thing is, the people who are closest to us, the people who love us most, become invisible. The things they do become invisible. Yeah, and, uh, now, you know, I, I, I tell the story 
Uh, I mean, I, I can't pour enough gratitude out for what my wife does for me, but I, I love to tell the story about a feminist who came to my home and was sitting at my dinner table and actually turned to my wife at my dinner table and she said, you do everything for this man. You keep his house, you raise his children, you cook his food. What does he do for you? And my wife just turned to her and without a word, just spread her hands to indicate the house, the roof over our heads, mm. the children who were well-behaved and had a father in the home. And it was just a beautiful moment. Yeah. She just, she, she, you know, she understood that sometimes the things people do for you are invisible, but they're really there. And, and I think that if you show gratitude to your spouse and treat your spouse the way he or she deserves to be treated or, or better, um, you know, I think that that radiates into your kids' lives. And my kids are, in fact, grateful uh, for their parents. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, the thing that you're talking about, and it really is a problem, are the, the problems of Success. This is a very successful country. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody can attack us from without. Uh, our, our, we're rich. We have everything in the world. If you look at a picture from the 1960s and a picture today, the amount of stuff we have yeah. is absolutely amazing. And, and so that, you're, you're right, that becomes invisible. That bounty becomes invisible. Uh, you talk to college students and they say they're oppressed and you want to laugh in their faces. You want to take them it's to places joke. where people are really oppressed, you know. No, it's a joke. Um, yeah, and so it's something that really has to fill your life. When I, when I say uh, joy has to fill your life, meaning uh, vigor in life and abundance, uh, also gratitude has yeah. to fill your life. And as, as parents, you can just show that every single day. You have an opportunity to show that all the time, yeah. that you appreciate the people in your life and the things they do for you and just the fact that they're there. Sure. I tell this, uh, this story often, but I think it merits telling again. We had a Ugandan pastor that spoke to our kids here, came over across the pond to speak to our kids, and I took them down and showed them where our kids live. And our kids live in third world conditions. They build their own communities in the woods uh, mm-hmm. with primitive tools and whatnot, and they live in those things, and they're heated by wood-burning stoves. And he was astonished. He's like, are people trying to get out of these conditions, and you're using it for therapy? And, <laughs> you know, I said, exactly. I said, this wouldn't fly in Uganda. He says, hey, can you explain how that works? I said, yeah, I've seen the pictures of your kids in Uganda, and they got ribs and big bellies and flies buzzing around their heads, and they're smiling. Our kids are wanting to kill themselves. And the richest nation on the planet, teen suicide is the second leading cause of death of our kids. He says, how do you explain that? I said, Romans 5, 3, and 4. And the number one reason the kids give is they say they have no hope. For, uh, that's, how, that's why they attempt suicide. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And if you back that scripture up line upon line, our kids are attempting suicide because they have no hope. They have no hope because they have no character. They have no character because it was never developed through perseverance, and they never persevered through anything because they never first struggled for anything. When you, when you uh, see that little chick cracking himself out of a uh, shell with his beak, the first thing we want to do is we want to pry apart that shell and, and, and rescue that chick, but we kill it when we do. It needs the struggle inside the egg to survive the world outside the egg because I think we can have so much compassion upon man as to be in high-handed rebellion toward God sometimes. We it's are, hard for a parent to understand that. It, but. it is, and unfortunately, our time is up. We're yeah. going to have to say, say so long for this edition of Licensed to Parent. Our guest today has been Andrew Claven, a crime novelist, screenwriter, and cultural commentator. Again, his latest book series is the serial fantasy thriller Another Kingdom. Uh, you can also find his podcast, The Andrew Claven Show, on SoundCloud. Andrew, thanks so much for carving out some time for us today. Absolutely. We appreciate it. It's, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. 
And that is a wrap for this edition of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Remember, if you've got a teen in crisis or no one, please know that we are here to help. Whether you need residential care or just need to know what next steps to take, you can contact us through our website, licensedtoparent.org, and then follow the links to Shepherd's Hill Academy. You can also learn more about our ministry and even help the work that we do with teens while you're there. And you can listen to other conversations we've had on a wide range of parenting topics. Again, the address, licensedtoparent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to join us again next time and renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.